You're listening to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. Hello, Jim. Hi, Amanda. So how was Scotland? It sounded heavenly. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was really good. We had a, an amazing time with the reindeer. Um, I hope everybody has a chance to listen to the podcast, which we did in the Howling Gale. Um, so it was sort of battling with the wind. But um, no, it was fantastic. We saw reindeer up close and personal, and they're such fantastic animals. So I would recommend anybody who gets a chance to go and visit them, but certainly listen to the podcast definitely listen to the podcast are they are they friendly are they are they cautious around people amazingly friendly no they're they're cautious in the sense that if you go up to them you try and touch their antlers they're very very sensitive and they will sort of shy away but they're not uh they're not in any way aggressive obviously in the rutting season and the males kind of get a bit feisty so you need to stay away from them um but they're um they're no they're really friendly very gentle uh, and you can feed them and they'll sort of nuzzle up to you and you know, it's great, it's really lovely and one, we saw, what was amazing we saw one female um, who had just given birth to twins her name was, her name was Lulu the twins were Starsky and Hutch <laughs> uh, because they all have themes and so uh, Starsky and Hutch is the first batch of the detectives themes but um, Lulu, that was absolutely unusual for a, a, um, a reindeer to give birth to twins so it was great, great to see them Fantastic and um, am I right in thinking that that reindeer herd is is a form of rewilding, isn't it? Having it that is. herd back in in the Cairngorms in yeah. Scotland. Yeah, it is. It's it's I and mean, it's the the UK's only free ranging herd of, of reindeer. Uh, introduced in the fifties, um, and if you listen to the podcast, you'll hear about uh, Utsi, who was um, came over from Sweden, who's a Sami. A reindeer herder effectively or and uh, introduced the reindeers back in the 1950s that he was surprised before he uh, before he visited scotland he assumed that there would be reindeer because it's the sort of same sort of um, territory uh, that uh, reindeer are found in but he was absolutely amazed that there weren't any reindeer so he thought well, why not so effectively yeah he's kind of rewilded the reindeer fantastic and that's you know so that was our second in our series of rewilding but but today we're somewhere very different. I mean, from the wilds of Scotland to the uh, slightly more temperate and more certainly more managed environment just outside Leamington, up here in Warwickshire, at the Aston Martin Lagonda site, factory and and offices, and it is very beautiful. Um, there are lots of uh, trees and bits of water and things, and we're going inside the factory later to to have a tour and to meet their global um, head of government and public relations, external affairs, James Stevens. But I mean, honestly, what are we doing? Doing a podcast from <laughs> Aston Martin? I mean, mm-hmm. Aston Martin. We've got to think Bond here, 007, ejector seats, super luxury, super super gas guzzling. This mm. doesn't feel like the natural territory for Planet Pod, does it? It doesn't feel like a sustainability um, theme, really. No, it, no, it doesn't. On the, no, on the face of it, it doesn't. I mean, they obviously a luxury prestige brand or prestige mark. But I think what's what's interesting, what I th- I'm going to find interesting, is to see what, how they're tackling this issue of sustainability. I suppose, like all motor, motor manufacturers, whatever end of the scale you're at. But I think um, I think they're doing a lot of a lot of really good things from what I can see. Um, I think particularly interesting in the electric vehicle and how they're approaching that so that whole end of 
uh, of the consumer market, if you like, and a recognition that they've got to go electric at some point. So, uh, yeah, yep, yep, they have to, to go, have to go electric. So we're going to be um, having a, a tour of the factory and, and a chat with James. And they're having a, um, a workshop and a day session on sustainability. And so those brands looking at their own sustainability. So um, we better get going. We had better. We better hop into our... Um, Whatever our vehicle is, actually, it's not. We're walking up, we really. But, yeah. um, we're so going to walk up to the front gate. I'm afraid they're not going to screech to a halt in in, in a blaze of, of, of smoke and uh, and, and exhaust fumes. And do you think they'll miss one if we uh, if they, there's a Aston Martin? Yeah. No longer at the in the showroom. Yeah, just tuck one in your back pocket. Okay, perhaps we could sit in one. Well, maybe. I, I could touch. <laughs> maybe I could just touch one. Do you think I could touch that? Probably alarmed. <laughs> okay, well, let's get going then. When pod listeners think about Aston Martin, that iconic British motor car, the image that comes to mind is probably super luxurious, um, very fast, huge engine, burning up the tarmac, and probably emitting a lot of carbon emissions. I don't suppose many pod listeners will think about sustainability and the fact that this um, well-known British band, Aston Martin and Lagonda, are actually working really hard at their own sustainability and their impact in the wider climate. And I'm delighted today that we're joined by James Stevens from Aston Martin Lagonda. And I really want to start, James, if I may, by saying, how did all this start? How did a sustainability become relevant to you and your business? Well, I think sustainability has always been relevant to our business, but recently we've started to look at it a lot more seriously in terms of a, <clears throat> excuse me, an integrated business strategy for the business. So we have a, a, a mid-term plan called the Second Century Plan. Uh, the way in which that plan is delivered uh, across the business is through a number of plus-alpha tactics, and sustainability is an integral part of, of, of how we deliver that plan. Uh, we've always been very conscious of our energies. Uh, we have to be compliant with regulation, uh, both here and abroad. Our, the consumption of our vehicles is something we strategize and plan for. Um, but clearly, we've been looking at how we can improve on that and how actually the, imp- the impact that we, the, the steps that we take in terms of sustainability, how that can have a greater benefit to us uh, in, in the business as a whole. Okay. Just, just going back, what's plus alpha? That's a term. So that plus, I'm not alpha, sure I'm plus, plus alpha, plus um, alpha. Yes, uh, it's an internal term. It, it is our version of Hoshin Canary. Our, our chief executive spent a number of years working for a certain Japanese car company and came back with some uh, Japanese phraseology that we have anglicised. So plus alpha is uh, is our definition of uh, Hoshin Canary, which basically means policy deployment. It's how we deploy the policy set by. Uh, the management here at Aston Martin and sustainability is 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 as a as a as a, as a function as as a plus alpha tactic is deployed through myself as the workstream leader uh, and we have a cross functional team uh, from spread around the business that help us deliver uh, that policy and that strategy. So that's about getting sustainability into your business and into the DNA of the organisation. Into every part of the business. Uh, fun- fundamentally, we can't achieve what we want to achieve without engaging with our employees. So we have to make sure that every part of the business is engaged with what we're trying to achieve and that we communicate with our employees at every level. So not just at manager level, uh, but going right the way down to production. And as a manufacturing organisation, we do have a slight challenge where our production operatives 
don't sit in front of a computer screen all day. Uh, they're out there building the cars, um, and therefore they don't necessarily have the same mediums that we can use with office-based staff. They don't have a mobile phone. They don't have a, have a computer that they access on a hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute basis. So we have to ensure that we have a mul- multitude of, of mediums that we can use to employ uh, to, to communicate our needs and wants and get the employees to really think sustainably and understand why the company. It's not just a... Uh, a buzzword. It's not just uh, the flavour of the month. It really is part of who we are as a business, and that they understand that you know their actions play an important role in in, in shaping the future of the business. And employee engagement is really crucial to embedding sustainability. But but if we row back slightly, I mean, you produce, let's face it, beautiful cars, but they are you know heavy on petrol, aren't they? They they are probably not something one would necessarily associate with. Um, a sustainable, um, you know, climate-conscious firm. So, so what's been the driver for sustainability in the business? I mean, you, you've signed up to the UN Global Compact. What, what made you, as Aston Martin, take on sustainability as a core to the business, apart from the fact that you had to, to some degree, because of, of, of legislation and regulation? I, th- I think I think the uh, we we are currently privately owned, uh, and some of our, our private uh, investor owners uh, really see the value of generating shareholder uh, benefit by being more sustainable. So they see the the avenue of risk versus return and sustainability as a core part of driving value in the business. Um, I don't think it's any one facet. I think uh, regulation, we have to comply with regulation around the world, so we have to be uh, looking at that all the time. We have our shareholders are immensely supportive of doing this, um, uh, and we have uh, other, other avenues. So as we start to look at this in, in, in a holistic way, it, it's all about proving the risk versus reward. If we make this investment in this particular technology or this particular process, it's going to have a benefit to the business in these ways. And I think the challenge we've had over the past couple of years is really trying to emphasise to management of that that risk versus return. So if we invest in this, it will pay back over this period of time. And most businesses will be looking at a payback period over a, you know, a couple of years. And typically we have tried to have that payback over the shortest possible period, which has made it very, very difficult for us. Okay. Um, obviously, you know, this is a beautiful site and we've been lucky enough to just have a tour of, of what is an incredibly clean and very quiet and rather beautiful um, manufacturing process. I mean, the cars are spectacular um, and, and, you know, lots of automation. Uh, there must be quite a high degree of waste. There must be quite a high degree of, um, you know, solvents coming out of the system. What have you been doing to tackle some of those big pollutants as part of the manufacturing process? So solvents is an easy, easy one to answer. Um, we, you know, removing solvents from the paint process is, is, is obviously a key one. So we're a water-based system now, not a solvent-based system. Um, and you know we are investing in a new manufacturing facility down in South Wales, and we're obviously looking at the, the best, most cutting-edge paint uh, facility. Clearly, our customers are buying a luxury product. That the paint, the surface finish of the car uh, is probably the first thing they, they will see. Uh, it has to be perfect. Um, so we're looking at the very, very best in, that, in those technologies for our customers. Knock-on benefit is obviously we're looking at the cleanest potential technology as well. Going on to waste, uh, clearly we, we have uh, a very deep uh, supply chain uh, making very expensive components. Those expensive components need to be lined side, uh, not just in time, we don't operate just in time technology here, but lean manufacturing sense. So when they're delivered to the line side, they need to be of the right quality. If they're not, they're returned. So finding that balance between 
enough packaging and not enough packaging. I think we've all, all experienced an Amazon delivery that has more cardboard and packaging than the product that's inside. Uh, and it's finding that balance. So, you know, uh, we, we are looking and working with our suppliers to see how we can redesign some of the packaging to reduce the waste. And indeed, if we can't, use materials that are easily recyclable. We all, all obviously see that the, the, the plastics recycling industry has become challenging economically. China aren't buying as much plastics as they once were. Therefore, more waste goes to incineration. Uh, that's not good for the environment, not good for CO2. So we're looking at how we can identify the, the, the packaging elements that are not recyclable or challenging, costly, uh, remove them and replace them with, with, with components that are. And are your employees relatively enthusiastic about this? I mean, is there an enthusiasm for being more sustainable, both in the workplace and amongst their travel habits? Or, you know, generally how do, you know, or, or are we surrounded by a lot of um, petrol heads? This is, after all, I their th- car part. I, I think <laughs> like, like, like general society, you'll get, you'll get a mixture of people. You'll get some people that just frankly don't, don't, don't care. Uh, it's they want to do their, come in, do their job and go home. But you, equally, you'll get the majority of people, I think, in the, in the office that do have an eye on the future. Uh, we as a business certainly have an eye on the future. We have, an, you know, we, we believe we have an ethical responsibility to, to help society. So we want to try and ensure that our employees are able to do that. I mean, one way of helping our employees, as you've seen, we're a fairly busy facility here. Car parking is at a premium. So working with our, with our employees, uh, putting on bus services to alleviate the road and the congestion around the site. We're next door to Jaguar Land Rover. The, the traffic in the morning can be challenging uh, for the local communities. And think of all those cars sat in the traffic jam emitting, even the cleanest cars are, are still emitting CO2. So putting, taking 50 cars off the road and putting one bus has a very, very good benefit in terms of our CO2 reduction. You're listening to Planet Pod, brought to you by Akil Management and the Planet Mark. Do get in touch with us. You can tweet at planet underscore pod or visit the website theplanetpod.com where you can subscribe to the pod and download earlier episodes. Um, we mentioned earlier that, that you know, you'd signed up to the UN Global Compact, but you're also looking at the SDGs, the Global Goals, and we've talked a lot about Global Goals on the pod. We've had various guests over the last few months talking about the, you know, our commitment as a nation to the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. How do they relate to something as, as niche as manufacturing a very expensive luxury motor car? Uh, well, well, firstly, I'd say that they, they're all relevant, um, and I think the the challenge for us is that it can be overwhelming when one looks at you know, how do I adapt to seventeen different goals? You know, how do you pick which ones are better than the others? Well, they're all equally valid. So what we've done is we've stepped back and said which are core to our business today, expressing the the fact that we do think that all seventeen are viable uh, and, and have a, a deep and meaningful uh, reason for being there. But picking the the the, 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 the half a dozen that. Are most relevant to us today, we can adapt that uh, into our business processes to ensure that we are able to actually make a meaningful impact uh, to the business in those areas. And then we can take that next, next baby step and maybe add another two, another three, another four. How about, um, this is quite a, obviously quite a male business, you know, having looked around the factory, there are, there are you know, women on the floor, there are also women in the offices and things, but, but you're largely a very male-dominated workforce. How are you around the kind of gender equality goal and, and the gender pay gap, if I yes, may it's ask a, this? It's a, uh, it's a challenge for the industry as a whole. Uh, I think when we did the gender pay gap earlier this year, we were about a median point in, in the industry. 
uh, I, 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 forgive me, I, I recall the number, I think it's 18% variance, uh, which is not great, uh, something we're looking to, to, to work on. Uh, our management team is all male, uh, unhealthy, uh, recently announced that, uh, that our management team will, will have a number of non-exec directors of which some of them will be women, which is an incredibly positive thing for us um, to have. I, it, what struck me when I first joined the company is our, our, our chief technology officer said to me that you know, women buy cars, James, and I said, yes, they do. Uh, and he said, well, to engineer a car for a woman, do you think a man can do that satisfactorily? And I said, well, he could probably try. He said, indeed, he can try, but he probably won't actually succeed. So we need women engineers to work here, work in the business, to design the next cars, to develop the next cars, and to manufacture the next cars, because otherwise we're not going to be tapping into 50% of the world's population. So again, we need to make sure that we are making the right products, designing the right products, with women in mind as well as men. Yes, there's a market imperative as well as a moral one. Indeed. And we know that getting women into engineering is tough. We know that getting young women to study STEM, STEM subjects in school is quite tough. What are you doing about those kinds of issues? Because obviously, you know, this is, a, I think, probably a very appealing place to work if you are you know, in engineering or you are in tech, because there's a lot of tech out there, isn't there? So how would you go about attracting those young women to think about you know, so, careers so, so in the t- industry? We take part in a number of the national schemes, the STEM schemes, etc. Um, I've worked in manufacturing all my life, manufacturing engineering companies all my life. Um, this is probably the, one of the better companies in terms of its, um, its applicability to women, its sort of environment, and certainly in terms of the number of women. Uh, we have... Uh, one of our chief engineers is a woman, uh, our head of product planning is a woman, our head of um, corporate planning is a woman. These are, these are important roles in the business, shaping the future of the business. Uh, and, and we, you know, so, that, so you can have a career in automotive if you're female. I think getting out there and engaging with high school kids at 15, which we do as part of you know, the standard business, is, is all well and good. Getting out there to primary schools and sort of setting a marker down with girls and boys at sort of six, seven, and eight, and to say, you know, this is what a career in engineering looks like. Um, it isn't, you know, I'm wearing a blue collar. It's not blue collar mechanical work where you come home dirty every day. You can sit at a CAD uh, in front of a computer designing a new part in CAD or in design using clay modeling the new product. And I don't think necessarily children of that age understand that or their parents don't understand that so getting in there and educating them and their parents so that when they make their decisions their mind is already are already starting to shape before they go in my humble opinion um, to, to secondary school so we, we see a great activity uh, we're not doing enough of it um, we have three ten sites in the UK three major centres East Midlands West Midlands and South Wales we see a great opportunity to put a pin on the map go out 10 to 15 miles from each of those sites and really engage, go out and preach the gospel of manufacturing to, to the kids in, in the local schools. Yeah. We, you know, unselfishly, or sorry, selfishly, we'll be fulfilling our talent pipeline, but uh, equally others will go into the supply chain and to other companies as well. Well, that's good to hear. So how important do you think sustainability is to your customers? So somebody buying, let's face it, a luxury car rather than just an expensive sports car, um, you know, they're probably not buying it for its sustainability, they're buying it for its look, its speed, its performance, its feel, all of those things, or maybe just the lifestyle, or in some cases possibly even as an investment. So 
Is sustainability driving your customers as well as as, as, as you as an organisation? Do you think? I think some of our customers most certainly, and I think I think you mentioned lifestyle. I think some some of our customers will will be living a lifestyle where um, they, they may not be customers today because we don't have a product that fits that lifestyle. Whether it be a uh, you know we don't make SUVs, well that will change with with our SUV coming online um, uh, early 2020, um, or it may be a case of they they drive a Tesla because they can't buy another a luxury electric car well with the relaunch of our or the rebirth of our Legonda brand as a as an EV brand a luxury EV brand hopefully that will that will change so I think there will always be the core Aston Martin company the, the customer that likes the traditional Aston Martin feel but we should understand that society is changing the, the the views of customers, whether it be mass market consumers or luxury consumers, is changing as well. And we are, as a company, adapting to that change. Uh, I think we, we, we're, we're well placed for that in the future. So you see, um, you see your future as a business going down the EV and even the hybrid route? I mean, is that likely? Are we likely to see a hybrid Aston Martin in the future? Are we like to see an all-electric one? So, so, so Aston Martin, so we are Aston Martin Lagonda. Lagonda has been announced earlier this year at the Geneva Motor Show, our chief executive. Uh, Andy Palmer uh, announced that, w- that Lagonda would be an EV-only brand, so the only EV luxury brand, uh, which is incredibly exciting. Our first electric car will be actually an Aston Martin, uh, the Repeat E that it launches next year. Uh, we literally unveiled a cutaway model of that last week at the LCV Senex show. So we are, we are moving into the fully electric space. Um, hybrids do have a role. Um, in terms of power, in terms of durability. We don't really see the role of hybrids as a CO2 reduction. It's more a case of looking at the size, the overall capacity of the engine um, and bringing hybrids in. But but fundamentally, the Gonda is an EV brand. Aston Martin isn't an EV brand uh, today. So, I mean, obviously one of the the barriers to people buying, um, you know, an EV is that battery life and speed and acceleration and things. So how are you going to tackle that? Do you feel that some of those issues that have been that other manufacturers have been wrestling with are, are close to being solved? I mean, are people going to get the distance with a with a, with an EV or is it just not not going to be an issue for the person? I think who buys I, I think honestly speaking today the technology the technology is always changing, but we're looking at a technology that that is uh, has a purpose. So an electric car is perfectly rational for 95% of all journeys. Most no, most journeys, 95% of all journeys are less than 20 miles. Uh, for those odd journeys that you want to do 300 miles, then perhaps a, an electric car isn't the right car for you today. Though that technology is changing all the time. Cars are bringing out greater, uh, greater uh, power density in their batteries, a greater range in their products all the time. So we have to ensure that, the, the, that you don't go and buy a, uh, an electric car if you want to be doing London to Glasgow every day. It's not the right product for you. Um, but understanding what you're going to be using the car for, we, th- we believe our customers want to have the option to, to, to purchase an electric car, hence the, the move into the Lagonda brand be, being EV and the Rapidi providing that opportunity. Again, living in cities, if you want to drive a car around, um, urban areas like Westminster uh, provide uh, free parking um, if you're an EV, uh, EV driver, on-street charging. The, the, the real challenge for, for electric vehicles uh, today is the ability to charge and the ability to charge properly. My humble opinion, I think if you're buying a, an electric car and you want to be doing long distance, you, you're buying the wrong car. Okay. Uh, uh, and do you think, I mean, uh, is your taking a leadership role about bringing out an, an all-electric vehicle, is that going to help? 
drive the scientific research that we need to extend battery life, that we need to increase charging time, that will actually allow that, that technology to work its way down through the more kind of generally available domestic market. Do you see that as one of your functions? Yeah. Or are you just saying we're going to produce a really fabulous, high-spec, expensive EV and you know the rest of the car market can carry on doing what it likes to do? Um, I think it's, it's certainly the former. I, th- I think uh, certainly luxury products will always be uh, expensive. They'll always be adopted first by, by the wealthy. Um, you have seen in our foyer the Volante Vision concept, an aerial vehicle. Now, we're looking at developing that as a product with, with some partners. Um, it isn't going to be... Um, a cheap and cheerful vehicle, and, and when we were when we were talking about this at the Far Brea show, uh, people were sceptically looking. Well, what, why why would why would the government want to support the development of a luxury product? Well, you develop technology first. It's very expensive. The people that buy it first will be the wealthy. The fact that they've bought it means the technology becomes cheaper. So if we do something at the pinnacle, at the luxury end, it becomes much more affordable to do it at the premium scale like Jackie Willandre over next door, um, if they can adapt it and reduce the price, then the mass market, like the VWs, the Nissans, can do it. And then below that, you've got the, the, the Tatas, the, the Dachas, uh, and everything. So I think you, you have to develop a technology. When a new technology comes out, it is always going to be expensive. Productionizing it, making it, getting the economies of scale right, is always going to be challenging. And that's where luxury can really lead the way. Because the government is... Um you know, it's really putting pressure on the motor manufacturing industry, isn't it? I mean, there is a demand that, you know, that, that it's all, you know, we're going to be driving electrics and hybrids from, you know, 2020, 2030. You know, there's, there's real pressure in, in, in the industry generally, isn't there? So, so the fact that you're choosing to do this is partly because it's what your customers want, but it's also because this is about sustainability for you as a business. If you don't do it, then, you know, yeah, I mean, there isn't going to be a role for, for big gas-guzzling cars in the, uh, the next I mean, 20 we, years. So. We, we, re- regulation will always be there. Regulation will provide a guide. What we've said to government, I think gov- the UK government has been very supportive. Uh, the Prime Minister held a, a summit last week, international EV summit last week in Birmingham, followed by the LCV Sonic show, where we, we as a country are showing off what we can do in this space. I think that's incredibly encouraging. Uh, and certainly their investment in R&D enables the companies to come to the UK or those already here to invest in new technologies in the UK. Uh, clearly regulations out there, and what we've consistently said to, to, to governments, not just the UK government, but governments around the world, is you tell us what you need to achieve. Tell us what, the, what don't give it, you know, give us a target. Tell us what you need to get, and we will come up. We, the engineers in the auto industry, will come up with the solutions to get there. Don't mandate a particular route because it might not be the right one. It might be too difficult, might be too costly. Uh, end, of the, end of the day, businesses are businesses. They need to, to be in business. Um, we've got to make, make sure that we can offer products that our customers want to buy, that we have enough time to plan ahead. We're looking at regulation both here in Europe, in the US, China, Japan, around the world. Everywhere is looking at how to reduce CO2. We see a great opportunity for us in the luxury space, currently occupied by nobody. Um, so we see a great opportunity for us to take the lead in this area. And that presumably will also filter through to those points we were saying earlier about education. You know, we need new technologies, we need new technicians, we need new, new, new brains to think about actually how we develop these technologies into the future, don't we? So yep. this is about being a leader both in education and in in design and manufacturing as well, isn't it? Yeah, we, we, we can't follow... Uh, you, get, you get in the newspaper sometimes uh, sort of a rhetoric of we need to be replicating what the Koreans are doing. Well, the Koreans do what they do in lithium-ion battery technology very well. Uh, should we follow them? No, we're a decade behind where they are. 
uh, frankly, uh, we should be looking at the next technology. And that really means working with universities. So companies like Aston Martin, working with SMEs in the supply chain that have a bright idea. There are a number of Oxford University spin-offs that, that have some very, very bright, uh, encouraging idea. Yassel Motors being one. Uh, they provide the motors for the, 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 the Volante Vision concept downstairs that uh, have that technology. So we need to identify where we as a country, we as a business, can take the lead. We shouldn't follow others because they're doing something that looks interesting um, because by the time we've caught up with them they've moved on again. Mm. And just so if people don't know because they might not have been at the Farnborough Air Show the the, the, the Volante vision concept is what? A, f- a flying car? <laughs> it's not a flying car. Um, I, I said to people on the stand when people came up and said is this a flying car? I said it hasn't got wheels so it's not a car. Uh, it is a, a an air mobility concept we're looking right. at. Uh, essentially looking at the future of mobility, the, the Lagonda brand is a, is a mobility brand and we're looking at how uh, we can provide our services to, to other companies. We've got the AM37 speedboat uh, that we make with uh, quintessence yachts. We're making um, uh, Triton submarine um, uh, submersible. Um, so we're, 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 we're taking our skills in design uh, to, into, into emerging markets. The Volante Vision concept is a very interesting area because it's potentially autonomous, albeit regulation is not there yet, so it can't be autonomous, um, but it has the capabilities to do that if and when regulation catches up. Um, it is electric, hybrid electric, with a Rolls-Royce um, uh, hybrid gas turbine system using Yassa electric motors, so the drive is all electrically driven, and it has batteries in it. So if it's in the air, on the sea, submersed, or on the road, Technology is rather the same, so you can you can deploy that technology. Uh, your motor runs this way or this way. Uh, so there are lots of uh, uh, interesting ways in which we can deploy that technology if need be. So watch this space. Watch this space indeed, James. Thank you very much. It's been fascinating. Um, you know, and if if people did want to come and look around Aston Martin, you do actually offer the occasional public tour people can come and have a look at the factory or you go to our website um, we do we do tours um, we, we, we invite people to come in certainly customers we do a VIP experience uh, all the details are on our website great thanks for having us thank you you've been listening to Planet Pod brought to you by Akil Management and the Planet Mark join us next time when we go wild in Bristol with the Wild Law Conference hosted by UKLA look forward to seeing you then